Welcome to Full Cast and Crew, a podcast where each week we take a film and Jason, with the internet and books, creates a fulsome, informative portrait of the circumstances that led to its creation. Or is it one where Chris, with the recollections of a boozy 2am screening in his rocking chair, makes far-flung associations to other bits of culture to sketch a theory about what the film means? Or is it one where Jenny, a special surprise guest host with the insight and her own personal connection to the piece refracted through a keen comedy writer's mind, provides dispatches from a culture which has re-experienced and reinterpreted a mainstream flop as a cult classic? Wow. That was great. Which would you choose, Jenny? I like the third one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm Jason. I'm Chris. That was Chris. And this is? I'm Jenny. This is Jenny. Jenny's our guest today. Jenny works with us here at Meeting House Productions. Woohoo! Jenny, I didn't ask you ahead of time whether you wanted to be completely revealed or you just wanted to be Jenny so that people can't show up at your house. <laughs> <laughs> well, that happens a lot already. Does so it? Well, I mean, it's let's just, just say that those in the know know. Yep. If you know, and, you know. Um, Jenny is our colleague and is one of those... I put people in different categories in terms of, like, colleagues... And their comedic sensibilities and abilities. Uh-huh. Jenny is one of those people who is a stealth, funny person. Like, you could observe Jenny around any office, and you might say, oh, there's a person. <laughs> but in fact, what is inside the person is a deviously twisted comedic mind, <laughs> which will only reveal itself in specific moments. Wow. Yes. Wow. I, I'm, right? more, <laughs> I'm more familiar with the deviously twisted comedic mind. I haven't sure. observed her in other yeah. circumstances. Wow, well, no, I, I didn't know that. I didn't really know the lens through which you see me. I see you as like one that. of those people who is reliably, brilliantly funny. A lot of pressure. Can create a lot of today. content, funny content. I don't know if you can dance, so I don't know if I would call you a triple threat. Go ahead and do it. Yeah. But you certainly can sing. Oh, thanks. Act. You can definitely wear wigs. Ooh. I've seen you wear a lot of wigs in your comedic videos. Mm. Are you a dancer? I would not call myself a dancer. I would call myself, um, let's say, singer who moves well. Hmm. That's something I've been told. A is singer that a who real thing? That sounds like something a casting director is saying to let you down gently. <laughs> Like, you move well. Oh, is that what but that for was? what we're doing here, a phrase probably used a lot at like the New York City Ballet. It's like, I don't know why we called you in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we really liked that twit video you did. Maybe this isn't yeah, <laughs> the exactly. right fit. No, well, that's pretty much it. She's back with us. And so we said, hey, you should come do the podcast, which of course she'd listened to all the episodes of prior yes. to. Yes. Not have. as if she was someone who just crashed, listened to like four or five of them. Yeah. We won't ask her now to cite her favorite episode because <laughs> we, we wouldn't want to put her on the spot. Like How do you that. pick a branch out of a whole one? redwood forest? Okay. But anyway, Jenny, when we said you'd be fun to have on the podcast, what movie would you like to do? You gave us a list of movies, and the one that jumped out to me was, you might have surmised, or probably not, given the cult nature of the film that we're talking about, from Chris's three different endings open, mm. that we were talking about the movie Clue. Now, Jenny, why Clue? I love Clue. I didn't see it in the theater, because I believe I was zero at the time, but... um rub it in. Burn. No, I might have been <laughs> one. I mean, I don't remember exactly when it came out, but I guess it was 85. Anyway, and I saw it with the three endings, Okay. which I just thought was so brilliant, mm-hmm. and such a funny, funny film 
And I also love the mystery genre. I knew the characters from the board game. So right. it was just this really fun amalgamation of like, oh, this is a mystery. And it's so deeply, deeply funny. And it mm-hmm. has these actors, a few of whom I knew and some I became aware of because of the film, specifically Tim Curry. So you came to Tim Curry through Clue, I not did. through Rocky Horror Picture Show. No. Because Interesting. when I came to Clue, I was probably, I'm going to say like 11 or 12, which is not necessarily an age at which you might see the Rocky Horror Picture Show, especially in in the family where I grew up. It's definitely not a place where you would see that. I did see online Jonathan Lynn, the director, speculating that one of the reasons the movie has endured so long is what you just said. You could watch this at 11 years old at home, yes. and it's really not going to get your parents upset. You know, it has sex, but it doesn't have sex. It mm-hmm. has murder, but it doesn't really have murder. It has violence, but not really. So it gets away with a lot of those right. things. When you saw this at 11, were you already interested in theater? What were you like when you encountered this movie? Oh, boy. I think I was probably already doing theater at that point, local children's theater. So I probably was acting. Were you singing? Probably. Um, but not dancing. No, I was definitely dancing. She could move well as an 11-year-old. No, I was definitely dancing. I did dance from the time I was three or four until I was 16 maybe, but Uh I didn't. Well, I asked because there's a certain theatricality to Clue that I think would appeal to... Um, I don't want to use the term theater nerd. No, feel free. I, was I mean, I've called you that <laughs> now before. Now I am, but at 11. You, you, you I, don't, I mean that in a positive, <laughs> like, that comes from my own failure as a high school student to find my way to that side of the auditorium. Right. You know, I was too intimidated by you guys, but I very much wanted to belong over there. But I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't. And also, look, in the 21st century, nerd has a very different... Oh, true. definitely. It yeah. is not considered a, uh, a negative thing yeah. in no. Save Money, You Save. I never saw it. I never saw Clue before screening it for this. This is no your first way. time. Yeah, it's my first time watching it. Why were you so excited? Just because you had heard about it? It just seemed from the very, like, blank perception of it that I had, if I had one at all... I didn't know it was the thing that it is. Mm. I didn't know that it was this cult thing until watching it and then going down the rabbit hole. I just think it had that 80s-ness that at my age, when I could have seen this in the theater, like I could have driven myself to the theater and seen it, Jenny. Thanks for (laughs) being one at the time. Um, But I didn't. Because at the time, this is 85, this is when Brazil came out. Yeah, Yeah, same month. At the time, this would have been a movie that I wouldn't have gone to because the subversiveness of it is not writ large on the poster or in the marketing for it. You have to see it in order to get that it's actually very subversively funny. Yeah. If anything, because of the fact that it is based on a game and marketed in that way and was marketed yeah, you would just the think gimmick, lame. it seems like the exact yeah. opposite of subversive. I never got yeah. there. And then was watching it and the way that it unfolds was so bizarre <laughs> and then just really enjoyed watching it and reading about it. And then, of course, amazing cast members. I mean, watching yeah. comedians of this status yeah. is incredible. I love that era of performer, like Eileen Brennan and other people. And so it's great to watch them in that. Not only a group of great comedians, but also at different points in their career. Like with Christopher Lloyd, I think he said this was still before Back to the Future Command. Martin Mull, on the other hand, was already quite established from having, uh, (laughs) just reading a little bit about him, written and performed in some like just weird, fantastic, funny-looking stuff, including Fernwood Tonight. And uh, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Sure. It's on my cork board of like, hey, that's something that I should oh, that's a great go show. back and watch the whole yeah. thing of. But I haven't. Yeah. Yet. yet. Also, Yes Minister is now on my list. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so the director, Jonathan Lynn, 
He created Yes Minister yes. for the BBC, which was his one thing of note prior to becoming involved in this film. What's great about the origin story of Clue is it has so many of these weird moments that I think is what everyone kind of loves about Hollywood and wants to romanticize about Hollywood, where shit happens through really no fault of your own, just like some weird confluence of events conspires to bring you into a situation. So John Landis, obviously everyone knows who he is. He was originally slated to direct the film because it was his idea. And then... Then he got pulled away to go direct something else, which I can't Spies remember. Like Spies Us. Spies Like yeah. Us, yes. There's an oral history that BuzzFeed did. Yes, yes. very good. With a very great. good description of some of those things. And we're talking about meeting John Landis. Not only was he slated to write and direct it, he was like uh, super excited oh, about yeah. it. Yes. <laughs> He's yeah. like bouncing off the couches. He's like, and then, and then, and then. Right. And that's the same source where Jonathan Lynn mentions he had gotten to that point where he had written kind of the outline, but couldn't figure out who did it, what yeah, happened, right. which is interesting. Did you catch that part about how prior to going to Jonathan Lynn, they went to both Tom Stoppard? Yes. He had a year that he tried to write it and then just sent back <laughs> the money and was like, I couldn't do it. And then after that, going to Sondheim and um, yeah. Anthony, Anthony Perkins, Perkins. Yeah, to try to write it. And they said yes, but then were too expensive. Like you said, <laughs> quite an origin story here. And then when when the BuzzFeed writer approached Tom Stoppard or Tom Stoppard as he can be known. As you know, Jenny, as we've discussed before on yes. many episodes right, of the podcast. You probably remember. You probably remember I that from I the I didn't know which pronunciation you remember that from the for. Brazil episode available on <laughs> iTunes or wherever you get Look, podcasts. I will, be, I will be honest. I listened to all the episodes happily of the films that I had seen because I don't like spoilers. Interesting. Mm -hmm. oh, wow. mm -hmm. Well, this is the wrong podcast to be on <laughs> if you don't like spoilers. <laughs> you avoid spoilers? I do. Hamlet dies in the end. Sorry. I, I had to what? mention. <laughs> For this, I did, especially because once I listened to the first episode, I realized that I have such strong opinions when I see movies that mm. I love being able to participate. You want to form in that? your own opinions? Do, weirdly, yes. <laughs> Jenny, this is 2019. Yes. I, know. What I am mean, I doing? what are you from the past? Yes. So Tom Stoppard returned the check, according to John Landis, after a year. But then when the BuzzFeed writer contacted Tom Stoppard, Tom Stoppard was like, I don't think I ever did anything. I don't remember working on that. He had no idea. Such as being Tom Stoppard, you could spend a year of your life working on something and just not even remember it. And also, listen, writers, when they work... You know, you can spend a year in life just sort of like <laughs> sipping Mai Tais and thinking about like, oh, what would it be like to make a film Wait, out of a boy? you guys are hired to be writers here. What are you, what are you talking about? Also, Lynn says that the reason he agreed to go to L.A. to meet with Landis and Deborah Hill, who I think is another important part of this movie and yeah. really yeah. important Hollywood figure, he said, frankly, the reason I said yes was because I'd never flown first class. And I thought it would be really interesting <laughs> to do that once in my life. I love Jonathan Lynn's expression of the abject terror with which he was consumed after he agreed to do it. And he'd never directed a feature film before. I think that Landis had the idea for the three endings. You just didn't know what they would be. Well, um, four, right? Or four, right. Four, they did yeah, four. He, yes. Although the fourth seemed rumored. Even Jonathan Lynn didn't quite remember it. Yeah, although who knows? Although, yeah. Is there a reason they're all avoiding it or something? I don't know. I don't know. Apparently Paramount released like a children's book. And apparently the fourth ending is in that. I looked into purchasing this, but it's $400 on oh, Amazon. That's yeah. what the company credit card's for, Jenny. <laughs> Research. Now you know you could get away with anything. Dude, next week's episode. I just got in be... trouble for buying photos for the podcast from our production accountant. There were people getting in trouble before you. Oh. Who were um, just blaming you. They were just blaming me? <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. That's like, I don't the, know where those pictures came from. I was from. like, that's for the podcast. They're like, well, isn't a podcast in an auditory medium? Right. Yeah, but <laughs> you are representative photos. Small. Sure, you can get whatever photo you want on the internet, but here I am actually going yeah, and for, purchasing the right, right to the use a photo. photos. So, doing I mean, the right thing. Doing the right thing. and clearances. Yeah, it just goes to show you, you shouldn't yeah. bother doing the right thing. Let's play a clip, which I already have queued up. Now, 
There are many great actors in the movie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> However, there's also one curious non-actor, Lee Ving, mm-hmm. from the punk band Fear, as Mr. Body. Everyone understands the precept of Clue, right? They're gathered together. There's a bunch yes. of rooms. There's yeah. some pipes. Somebody dies. Somebody dies. Could've you flip a... over a card. You have those little Parker Brothers pieces. Who'd everything. done it? Where, a, when, with Where, what? when, and who with it? In your hands, you each have a lethal weapon. If you denounce me to the police, you will also be exposed and humiliated. I'll see to that in court. But if one of you kills Wadsworth now, no one but the seven of us will ever know. He has the key to the front door, which he said would only be opened over his dead body. I suggest we take him up on that offer. The only way to avoid finding yourselves on the front pages is for one of you to kill Wadsworth. Now! Okay, so Mm -hmm. my question to the both of you who have theatrical training, one of these things is not like the other. (laughs) Leaving is not an actor. What is it that I'm sensing? What is the difference? I guess as an actor, I would have to say he's bad. But what is it that he's bad at? Why doesn't he read the way the others read? What are they doing that he's not doing? I feel like he's unable to read the words on the page and then like, and bring them to life in a way that sounds at all natural, like it's something he would say as this character. It, I mean, did they hand him the script right before Gosh, Jen, He's scene? always said very nice things about you. <laughs> Has he? And you, here I mean, you, he also sounds a lot like Joe Montaigne. Yeah. Like or a Harvey Keitel. Or, I was like, why not just get Harvey Keitel? He would have been great in this. Anybody who had been in a Martin Scorsese film, I'm sure he's a perfectly lovely man. He's done a lot more feature films than I have. But because this is a stylized thing where they're not just acting, but they're, you know, they're playing in a theatrical way, specifically in this kind of comedy. Whatever he is doing is closer to naturalism. It sounds like what he's doing, he's just sort of delivering the lines in an almost David Mamet, like, get the information out sort of way, which is just not right for what this is. No. You know, acting can be either the easiest thing in the world or the hardest thing in the world. And in a different thing, what he's doing could be sort of just on the easy end, like a lot of people do make a living doing. It's especially in this setting, which is exaggerated around these people who are such not just comedians, but consummate professionals. And also it's a farce and everyone else is so deeply in these characters. They're embodying them in every movement. Maybe it's just, you know, his style. You know, in something else, he might be great. So if you look him up, he's a very engaging storyteller when he's talking about himself. His band has a very storied history in punk rock music. They famously, and he famously was featured in The Decline of Western Civilization, the Penelope Spheris documentary about punk rock in Los Angeles. And from that, he had a brief window where I think Hollywood tried to turn him into a movie star. He's got a great look, but he's not an actor. He stands out a little bit like a sore thumb. Also does Yvette. Colleen Camp plays Yvette, which bizarrely, Colleen Camp almost has the longest career still going (laughs) of anyone in the movie. There are moments like leaving. It's kind of fascinating to watch the differences between someone who can do it. Apologies to Colleen Camp's 35-year-plus career. She was in freaking... uh, Apocalypse Now. She was in Apocalypse Now. She played one of the Playboy bunnies on stage. It's not much of a role. She was still in it. She was still in it. She was there for a year, too. (laughs) 
<laughs> really? I, I watched this entire video of Colleen Camp talking at great length about Apocalypse Now, and I was thinking, God, I don't remember. What, <laughs> she, what, what big role did she have that she's talking for 45 minutes? But her contract called for her to be there a year. Shout out to Francis Ford Coppola's budget management skills <laughs> when that's the scene you're going to be in. I don't know why you need the actor on contract for a year. I think what's different about her, even she sort of was like, I was hired for my body. That's how mm -hmm. I present this character. And then throughout, all the characters sort of notice her bosom. Right, and yeah. it becomes a thing. So it's like, part of the farce element. Versus Mr. Body. Well, Jonathan Lynn says that he had said no to so many things from the studio that by the time it came around to leaving, he was like, I should I should probably just say yes Throw to one of these things. It doesn't really get in the way because he dies pretty quickly and yeah. it's yes, just a corpse yes, for the rest of the true. movie. Although Mr. Body also, he has maybe like 30 lines in the entire film, and so many of them are ADR. Yeah, that entire scene we just watched is all yes. dubbed over. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I'm pretty sure Harvey Keitel did the dubbing. Yeah, maybe that's <laughs> why. That's I was, his voice. Is that what's unnatural about it? Hey, everybody. We don't want to just dump on leaving like that. So in the interest of fairness, we wanted to include a sample of him doing, you know, what he does best. So here's him with his band Fear on Saturday Night Live. And what makes this clip even better is that the band's being introduced by full cast and crew favorite, creepy Uncle Lucas from Escape to Witch Mountain, crazy winemaking guy from that Columbo episode, any port in a storm, Donald Pleasance. Really nice people, you know. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, uh, <clears throat> they look very frightening, but they're really very nice. Our Halloween night guest. And by the way, tonight, Look out for surprises. Ladies and gentlemen, Fia! I will say this in Colleen Camp's defense and in Yvette, the French maid's defense. She does have a turn. I mean, she's yes. not a French maid. Mm. And in the end, she speaks in a normal voice yes. or a non-fake French voice. So the entire time, you're sort of presented with this fairly stereotypical French farce character of... Right. And I was like, when did this ever become a thing? No one ever had a French maid, like, in their home. As a as a person working for them, I mean, I'm sure in France, French people have yeah, made yeah, but were they wearing like <laughs> in the were they did they have décolletage? I mean, you know, yes, like, and they they paraded around in seamed stockings and high heels. It seems like a very impractical made seems outfit. Almost like a fantasy a male came up with. Am I? Hmm. Is that a thing? You think a male screenwriter invented that? What? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm I'm wrong. I remember like period made costumes, right? not being quite as revealing. So I don't know if that was more, I don't know yeah. if like the adult film industry started to make that turn. What's the difference between France and England? Because, you know, where else are you going <laughs> to see maids? <laughs> There's true. like the Downton Abbey That's type right. that are basically all in like robes yeah. and helmets yeah. and stuff. It's versus like neck the French to ankles cover. Yeah. 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 It's a little different. It's a little different thing. But along with Lee Ving, do you know the other connection this film has to the Los Angeles punk scene? Oh, are you talking about um, Jane Weedling? Jane Weedling. Oh, Jane Weedling, yes. the singing yes. telegram girl who yes. had been a member of the Go-Go. Yes, the rhythm I laughed guitarist. out loud. Yeah. Um, let's play her scene because it's so fucking funny. It's the best. Hello? Hello? Shut the door. Did anyone recognize you? They must have, and not just my face. They know every inch of my body, and they're not the only ones. <gasps> it's you! 
funny going on around here. I don't know what it is. Now, I'm not on duty. But I have a feeling that I'm in danger. You know that big, ugly house on top? Hello? Hello? Are you there? Perfectly timed. Yep. Jane well, Weedlin, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's such a memorable moment from the film. There are no small parts, only small actors. Absolutely. That's her genuine enthusiasm being snuffed out through gunfire that really sells it. Yeah. It's so out of its time when it came out, which is probably why it famously flopped, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. And, and also, it's so right now to have the multiple endings. It yeah. presaged Black Mirror and everything right. else. But for the time, it's a pretty stupid idea to tell the public you have to go to see a movie three times well, in order to experience or yes. brilliant. No, <laughs> it's stupid. In reading all the research, and it killed yes, the movie. everybody was saying that. I don't know if that's all that killed the movie because as much as I liked it, this is not the first time that I've been out of step. To me, I remember when it came out and being like, that sounds awesome. As far as gimmicks go, as far as like money grubbing, cynical capitalist gimmicks to get you to buy more stuff that you don't need, this seems like a pretty benign yeah, but as it far as work. gimmicks go. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it did yeah. work, so obviously. I mean, the joy of watching the movie is the joy of watching the different endings. That's the whole point of the whole movie. I don't want to sit there movie three times <laughs> in order just to watch a different ending. The way you watch it now, streaming, where you can watch all three endings with title yeah. cards between them. Mm-hmm. That's the way the movie should have been released the first time. I agree. Although I will say, so that's the only way I knew that the movie existed. And then when I started doing research and realized that they released three different endings yeah. at different times, I was like, that's amazing. I yeah. would have loved that. And then I started to read more and more of how terrible it was, yeah. how much it failed. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I guess it wasn't, but it seems like something yeah. that I would have been. You would have yeah, gone yes. three times. So ready for I mean, I oh, didn't yeah. go three times. So obviously didn't. Right, like, right. I, I was excited enough like, Hey, that's a great idea. Let's go play something else. Jonathan Lynn, weird career, post this. Hmm. <laughs> talking about the kismet that can happen where you end up having a Hollywood career. But then you can also release this movie and have your Hollywood career evaporate, which is what happened to him. He had been signed to direct Steve Martin's Roxanne. Yeah. And Clue came out, got a really bad reception. And 10 days later, he was fired. But then he did go on to direct many other successful movies, including My Cousin Vinny. Yes. Uh, another classic. Which I also haven't seen. So this movie came out at a time where Rocky IV, Spies Like Us, that's the movie that John Landis mm-hmm. directed mm-hmm. instead, Color Purple, Jewel of the Nile, Young Sherlock Holmes. That was kind of a big hit in the, in the 80s. Do you remember that? Oh, what am I kidding? No, what, she, was she was like zero. She was zero. <laughs> she was literally zero. Well, let me ask it. Did you uh, see Young Sherlock Holmes? I do have a bit of a Sherlock Holmes thing. Let's talk after the pod. Yeah, okay. Yeah, oh, you have that too. You like mysteries too. I do. Okay. I was like that nerdy kid who was staying up to watch Poirot at, like, <laughs> at 9 p.m. at age 11. Like I was that person. Well, I love mysteries. So I've seen most of the Sherlock Holmes movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. wow. Including all the weird ones that. like Young Sherlock Holmes and... Son of Sherlock Holmes, whatever they are. I've seen them. Uh, out of Africa. I don't think that's a Sherlock that's Holmes. That's a Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> Enemy Mine came out in 85. Yes. Which we've talked about as well. Yep. Which was the movie that somebody was going to do but didn't do so they could Terry be the Gilliam. movie that we talked about. All right, Terry Gilliam. Yes. The, you said you've seen all the Sherlock Holmes. You saw the Robert Downey Jr. one. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of that? I of loved those? the first one. Mm-hmm. 
Um, wasn't so crazy about the second one, but I like them. I like the spirit of them. Yeah. Not as much as I enjoy the... Benedict Cumberbatch, yeah. Sherlock? Yeah, I mean, or, those yeah. are That's actually super my, worthy. If, if you're wondering whether or not I'm truly into yeah. this, my current phone ring is still the Sherlock theme. <laughs> And it's not new anymore. It's wow. just not even. That's I mean, commitment. Yeah, season in a couple of years. Um, did you guys know that Clue was the first major motion picture based on a board game? Yes. yes. Did, and I did think. you know what the <laughs> other ones might have been? Oh, Battleship. Yes. Yes. And Talk end about of list, flops. maybe. End yeah. of list. Depends on how you define it. Like, wouldn't you count? How you uh, define a board game? The Ouija. Oh yeah, There's the that's Ouija not a game, board movies. Though. That's not a game. Nobody wins. Only the underworld that's wins. Right. The <laughs> it's like win. yeah, the spirits that are trying, that are clawing their way <laughs> at the edges right. of reality. And you know, some lists <laughs> did put uh, Jumanji. Oh, and that's oh yeah, that's actually. a board game. Yeah. But I would not call that a board because that's I don't believe in the the JCU, the Jumanji Cinematic Universe, because it did wow. start as books wow. as opposed to that being a game true. first. It, that's true. It was a children's book first, so I agree. Yeah, Take see? it off the list. Wait, book so about a board count? game, and wow. then a movie, and then the board game. Yeah, I think the board game was just a spinoff, uh, just a piece of crass merchandising, which in some ways is what this movie is, but even still. <laughs> True. Yeah, you know, in, in the UK, they call it Cluedo. Yes. Or Cluedo. Cluedo. Cluedo? Cluedo? Mm-hmm. That's stupid. Have you well, seen I mean, the game fair. show? They were there first. The show, Cluedo, yeah, there's a game the show. Yes. 1990s series. Yes. It ran for a few years, and it's it has nothing to do with the board game, really. It's on YouTube. It has pretty much nothing to do with the board game, except that the character names are the yeah. same. But basically, you watch sort of soap opera-esque scenes, and then there are live in-studio pairs who compete <laughs> to solve the mystery, and then the cast comes out, and they I can, think that it's sounds interactive awesome. theater. That sounds like something Chris would you be interested in. You talk with in. them, yeah. and, you, and they stay in character, and you ask them questions, and then you have to make a... Yeah, this sort of like not-quite-ready gimmick, like 20 years too soon. It's like, okay. Maybe. <laughs> and then there was also an Australian version a couple years after that a similar kind of thing um, but with Australian accents and apparently was adding a lot of new characters and was somewhat successful until it wasn't mm. Mm. like like many things in life and still interactive and as is yeah. the off-Broadway musical which is also quite a flop the off-Broadway musical of Clue yes uh, they I was had not aware a, that it had gone that far they had some sort of interactive piece where the audience, <laughs> chose who the murderer was going to be at the beginning or something. And actually, I, I was doing some research and found that someone somewhere is trying to revive this. And they're like, and now no. from your iPhone, oh, yeah. you God, can like no. interact. And it's Yeah, let's get people yeah. on their phones in the theater more right, than they exactly. are. That's a great idea. <laughs> that, that's literally the entire premise. Volcast and Crew is brought to you by Out of Jack's Mind, a new comedy short video series from Jack Plotnick, co-writer and director of the Sony Pictures feature film Space Station 76, and current recurring guest on Grace and Frankie and Z Nation. Out of Jack's Mind, like and follow at Chuckler Comedy on Facebook or Chuckler.com. Chuckler, original comedy delivered daily. You know what we didn't talk about, though, was the history of the game itself of Clue. Oh, okay. And there were just some, like, fun factoids. Clue the board game. Are you did ready? You know it was Let's started begin. by a British military soldier in 1944. Well, it was a British guy who did design it, but it was originally called Murder. Much better title. Oh. But when he sold it, he made barely a dime off it because he sold it to a British mm. company who sold it to Was it Parker Brothers? They Those Parker Brothers were tough. Brothers. They were tough. Didn't they make a or Parker 15 Brothers year old movie? Mm-hmm. No, I think someone wanted to. been talking about it. Anyway, the other fun fact, when the thing initially came out for the rope, they had a piece of string, which they then decided to like plastic, plastic trinket to make yeah. it plastic news. But the best thing was the original lead pipe was a piece of lead. 
which oh. they then realized she was, could get lead poisoning. was poisonous. She could then so eat. that's why they then substituted it with a pewter lead oh. pipe. Mm-hmm. This movie wouldn't be what it is without Tim Curry no. in yeah. this role, especially in the back third of the film. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has to do some serious heavy lifting. Yes. I mean, my God. When you're watching it, it's a, a weird experience where, like, some of you watch and you're kind of into the beginning of the movie, but then things kind of drag or it kind of loses its charm or it then becomes rote. Even a brilliant movie like Blade Runner in the beginning is so original and insane that you're just transfixed. But then the whole last half of the movie is just a chase scene. I mean, it's great and all, but it's just a chase. This movie, to do all the mystery stuff, character mm. settings, it's slow going in the beginning because everyone's got to had their backstory introduced which is just like so much dialogue. There's no way to tell who everyone is, except someone is going to tell us in great detail who everyone is. Although I feel like in the first 10 minutes of the film, you meet all of the characters, but there's pretty limited dialogue and not very much exposition. And I feel like I think you have a really great sense of each of the characters. You do, but then they go on to tell you all about it in great it's detail. True. I agree. It's like, true. you could have had the door scene where Tim Curry meets everyone at the door. You kind of know. I mean, it's Clue. Yeah. We kind of know who everyone yeah. is. We don't really right. need to then have all this exposition that goes on about who's who and what their blackmail stories are. It just gets a little belabored. Except that part of the fun of Tim Curry's long, huge monologues mm. and the running around. I was surprised at how negative the reviews were. Just in as much as, like, come on, like, at least recognize that that is like a fun the the running around that that is energetic and it's a little bit different than what you've seen but I think the only way to have multiple endings that in quotes work Hmm. or make sense is to have those elements of backstory that he can then weave together in in different permutations I'm with you like it it can be a a long slog but the Uh, cast is so good let's just talk about the cast a little bit I mean everyone is so great Leslie Ann Warren she's another person who's been working forever and Mm -hmm. continues to work I think she came into this after being nominated for an Oscar right. for yes. Victor Victoria. Let's play the, so many things came from this. Math Lady came from this. Uh, <laughs> Leslie Ann Warren basically <laughs> creating Math Lady yeah. in this scene. Except you, Wadsworth. You as a mere butler have no access to government secrets. So, I'm afraid your moment has come. Not so fast, Miss Scarlet. I do have a secret or two. Oh yeah, such as? The game's up, Scarlet. There are no more bullets left in that gun. Come on, you don't think I'm going to fall for that old trick. It's not a trick. There was one shot at Mr. Body in the study, two for the chandelier, two at the lounge door, and one for the singing telegram. That's not six. One plus two plus two plus one. Uh Uh-uh. There was only one shot that got the chandelier. That's one plus two plus one plus one. Even if you were right, that'll be one plus one plus two plus one, not one plus two plus one plus one. Okay, fine. One plus two plus one. Shut up! The point is, there's one bullet left in this gun, and guess who's going to get it? That's oh. what goes on in my mind when I try to do math, by the way. Like that whole thing. <laughs> two plus one, one plus, plus one. Two plus two yeah. plus one, yeah. Yes. So I saw myself in this movie when they did that Representation scene. Representation matters. Because I was trying to count <laughs> with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I couldn't do it. Was that ending B? That's either A or B. I think that was that A. I think that audience? was A. Who's the B? Who, so Mrs. Peacock. Eileen Brennan. Correct. Here's the thing, though. She's Miss Scarlet, but why is she wearing a green dress? That bothered me through the whole movie. So none of the characters are really wearing their colors. I know, but see, I, that would have helped me. But their cars. But their ca- their well, cars are the same color as the pieces. Okay, yeah. that, that is only, there's only limited evidence to prove that that's true for all characters because we don't see everyone's car. What do you mean limited evidence? You mean you see we three or see- four cars? Well, but... That's not that's three or four like cars. All the cars. <laughs> well, can't you infer I if you see three I cars that are the color of their game yeah. piece? Yeah. That okay? Yes, yes. Well, why is she wearing green? 
It doesn't matter. And also, for oh. her, I felt that costume design was not flattering for her. It, it created the illusion that she had like a puffy midriff when she really didn't. Well, and she couldn't sit down. She had yeah. to use slant boards because yes. it, yeah. was, it, it was period garment. I mean, it was actual right. Come corset. to find out, slant boards are a thing. Mm. I didn't know that until reading this. <laughs> Just another joy of God. being a female actress, Just I an suppose. indignity that they put up on a female actor. <laughs> My God. Yeah. Just lean. You can't no chair for you. Too. There won't be any seat. There's a board. You can't play pool with Martin Mull no. and, uh, <laughs> and Lee Vang. You have to lie against right. your slant board. Yeah. I don't wonder if they would do that in this day. I mean, if they had period-specific, yeah. what is it, bone corset? Yeah. Yeah? Also, I have to do this because this is my thing. Speaking of mysteries, hmm. Leslie Ann Warren also did a Columbo. Oh. Deadly State of Mind with George Hamilton. She's like a very good Columbo female character. Sure. She, she she sort of fits the part there. So in our forthcoming Columbo podcast, <laughs> we'll get more into that. Yeah. yeah. Actually, <laughs> a there, minute are two, by minute there are two Columbo podcasts already, but neither of them are any good. Well, so, good. So I'm that just means there's an opening room in the market. Apologies place. to all the listeners who are creators and fans of those Columbo podcasts. Wow. The, I, I don't know. I Jenny's think the overlap is probably pretty small. I don't know if there's any Leslie Ann Warren full cast and crew credits that you want to dive down. Nothing jumped out as being like, oh, do you remember this? Like, this was so Well, great. I remember like, the Columbo. Columbo episode, yes. I remember Victor Victoria, obviously. Of course, she plays Janie's mother in the Janie's Got a Gun video from Aerosmith. Oh, Color of Night. Isn't that that weird Bruce Willis Oh yeah, <laughs> movie? She won Best Actress in a Supporting Role wow. for um, Victor Victoria in 1982. Amazing. Academy Award winner, Leslie Ann Warren. Mm. Then we have Eileen Brennan. My Ugh. God. What a titan. What a yes. comedic genius. She is. Clue was one of her first projects after getting out of the Betty Ford Center mm. for an addiction to painkillers. Following an incident two years earlier in which she was hit by a car. According to people, she suffered smashed legs, fragmented jaw, broken nose, and an eyeball wrenched from its socket. Christopher Lloyd said, I had felt a lot of sympathy for her because she was still struggling. She was working very hard to get back on her feet and be able to work again, not that it showed in her performance at all, which it doesn't. She is just masterfully in control of her body, her physicality, her line delivery. She has so many incredible moments in this. And she's actually the only introduction where she says nothing when she first comes <laughs> in. She just reacts to yes. the event. Mm -hmm. And it's so brilliant. Yeah. And you know so much about her just from watching that yes. initial viewing of Yvette. And then when she's hysterical about, you know, yes. drinking these. Potentially poisoned. Right, poisoned. Poison. Exactly. I think my favorite, Eileen Brennan, I have to go to the yeah. little girls. Yeah. And I was like, wee wee, man. I was like, no, no, just powder my, my nose. nose. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. Oh, I didn't get that until just now. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, you have to watch it again. There's I watched it again. I actually did watch it Eileen twice Brennan. and <laughs> didn't get it either time until Chris just mentioned that. I was actually holding that against <laughs> Colleen Camp. Wee oui, wee. Oui. Oh. For those of you listening, obviously, we, oui, which is French for yes, also is urine. I didn't, you know, it was too highbrow for me. <laughs> young, exactly. right over my head. young children sometimes refer <laughs> exactly. to urine as wee oui, wee. Oui. Oh, wee oui, wee, oui, madame. But another great one is when they're revealing Mrs. Peacock's, you know, the passing the money and. Her husband's uh, nefariousness? Exactly. And Wadsworth says, How then do you justify taking bribes? in return for delivering your husband, Senator Peacock's vote, to certain lobbyists. My husband is a paid consultant. There is nothing wrong with that. Not if it's publicly declared, perhaps. But if the payment is delivered by slipping used greenbacks in plain envelopes under the door of the men's room, how would you describe that transaction? I'd say it stinks. Well, how would you know? When were you in that men's room? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, all, and it's everything's uh, so fast. It's so easy it to miss all these gems. Yeah. I wanted to look at her credits, too, because yeah, she must have been in everything forever. Yeah. Fun fact about her, she went to AMDA, 
American Academy of Music and Dramatic Arts mm -hmm. in New York. Roommates with Rue McClanahan. That's right. Any time to mention the Golden Girls, uh, never seen I it. will take it. You've never seen the Golden Girls? You've never seen an episode? Nope. It's you literally asked me to make a Golden Girls parody once. I did, but that just shows you I have I, the ability I myself. to understand <laughs> something's going to be good without knowing what it is, Jenny. She was a cast member on um, Laughing, but she didn't really fit in. I think she left mm. after. For, well, she was probably did TV first, right? Well, she was a Broadway Theater, person. Yeah. Theater, Theater person. yeah. Mm -hmm. Divorce American Style. Ghost of Mrs. Muir. That's another good stay at home from school. Yeah. Last Picture Show. Mm hmm. The Sting. She was memorable in that. The Sting, yeah. she's great in. Was she a Tony nominated? Did she get a Tony? She must have won a Tony somewhere. Um, Murder by Death, which is often referred to in the same breath as Clue. As the, yes. Because it's kind of a similar ensemble parlor mystery comedy. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen that. Peter Falk, Alec Guinness, Peter Sellers. I haven't heard of those guys, so I don't know if it's any good. <laughs> <laughs> there was a few of these that came out in relatively short succession. Murder by Death was a similar thing to this in that it was uh, Agatha Christie types. Uh, the Cheap Detective was more like Philip Marlowe. And then there was something I remember, Murder Can Hurt You, which was, again, hmm. meant to be like a comedy <laughs> spoof of big police one-person name shows like Kojak and Beretta hmm. and Kojak. And policewoman, though I guess that's not her that's name. Two words. Policewoman. Again, no, that's funny. That, that comedies. title sounds like a current title of a lifetime. Policewoman. Move me. Mo movie. Movie. Bye. Well, they are move me's on Lifetime. Um, Murder can hurt you. Murder can hurt you. That's what I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> Captain. Yeah, never. It's a brush Captain up the Captain Moves me. It's a movie. On Private Benjamin. Yes. That, I was going to yeah. say that. Is that probably her most famous yeah. film role? Would yeah. you say? Then she did the Private Benjamin TV series, which is always a kiss. Like, never do the TV series after the movie. It's just yeah, never going to. Yeah, but gonna... she won an Emmy for it. Well, uh, who hasn't won an Emmy? I, I mean... haven't. Raise your hand. <laughs> oh, you guys haven't won yet? Okay. <laughs> She's kind of one of those, like, in the 80s and through the 90s, sort of reliable guest star on mm -hmm. your yeah. television series. She won an OB for, I think, her first real off-Broadway thing, Little Mary Sunshine, where she was the title role. Eileen Brennan, man, worked consistently from 1960 to 2011 and great. Uh, Martin Mull, very funny. Mm -hmm. Martin Mull, who's got a very storied background. Uh, yeah, Martin Mull's one of those guys who's sort of like, feels like he should be a more important and known figure than he is, but for some reason is kind of remained cultish. It's sort of like a lot of the actors in the Christopher Guest films who are so incredible yeah. and so well-known. I guess it just so, goes to show you that circles, being good doesn't really translate into anything in America. I mean, he certainly films. had a career, you know, Amen. that is he had a career, enviable. And he's just certainly is very respected. Let's not feel too bad for Martin Mull because yeah. he's still working. Yeah, I was going to say, he's on The Cool Kids oh, now. Oh, yeah. What's that? It's a TV show about old people, I guess four old people. My friend Daryl loves it. Huh. He was on Arrested Development. Yes, oh as Gene Parmesan. That never saw Parmesan. it. 2004 to 2019. I mean, how yeah, can I even keep like up a, with all that? It took like a 13-year break. <laughs> you know, it's, true. it's not that like true. his character is phenomenal. It's a show that is so full of not only great actors but also like great running bits. Yes, and his is probably my favorite. Mm -hmm. Thank God, a new doctor finally can get a straight answer in this place. Uh, I've got some bad news. I'm Gene Parmesan. How you doing? <laughs> But I did overhear that he's bleeding internally. Also, cult movie, FM, which both Martin Mull and Eileen Brennan are in, I believe. Yes. Mm -hmm. Or is it? I think that's right. No, she is definitely, yes. Um, that was a movie I remember always watching a lot as a teenager for some reason. It's probably naughty in some way. Do you remember what genre it was? Yeah, it was, just, it was like a, a wacky comedy. radio station yeah. movie back when 
people listen to the radio. <laughs> Back when that was but the I think thing, it kind of, you know what? I think the thing was that it famously had like a good soundtrack. I keep thinking of UHF when you say. No, but that's another <laughs> good one. <laughs> He's also in Meryl Marco's Guide to Glamorous Living in 1988, which sounds like a TV special that <laughs> Meryl Marco is famously uh, David Letterman's main writer in the early, most hilarious years, oh, yeah. uh, put together which had Harry Shearer, Gary Shandling, Fred Willard, Andrea Martin, David Letterman, Polly Draper, Elaine Boozler, wow. uh, and Martin Mull. Did you watch Too Funny to Fail, The Life and Death of the Dana Carvey Show? Oh, I haven't seen that. It's really good, but that's another one that has a surprisingly yes. heavy-hitting cast oh, that were yeah. unknowns at the time. So my first job in TV was across the hall from the Dana Carvey TV show offices. And Dana Carvey was like a big deal at that. This is 95, 96, I want to say. Uh, so yeah, the writing cast famously consisted of Louis C.K., Steve Carell, Robert Carlock, who went on to write uh, 30 Rock with Tina Fey, Dana Carvey. Stephen Colbert, John Glazer, Charlie Kaufman, Robert Smigel. Mm -hmm. The guy that I always remember was Michael Stoyanov, who was in Blossom. He was Anthony he was Russo. Anthony Russo. Yes. That means yes. nothing to me. I remember that it was such a thing that he was like leaving a hit show to go be a writer on this unknown ah. like variety show mm -hmm. that like, what the hell is this weird thing going to be? And I was working on a live daily news magazine and their office was in the same complex as ours. So everyone always tried to see Dana Carvey coming and going. That was like a big mm -hmm. deal to us back then. That'd be a big deal now. I think he's brilliant. You know, somebody's making like a fan documentary called, I think like, Who Done It? Yeah. About Clue like the movie? About Clue the movie. Is it Jenny? I wish. <laughs> that would be a brilliant piece of cross-promotion if you Wouldn't were the it? person behind the film. And our Kickstarter, yeah. you can donate at... W, yeah. So what are they, who are they interviewing? They had, had they, great everyone, interviews. Everyone, they had great interviews. Michael McKeon, yeah. Leslie Ann Warren, Lee Ving. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, Colleen Camp. Colleen Camp. Who else? Uh, and, Jonathan Lynn. And Jonathan Lynn, yeah. Mm -hmm. What Tim about Curry? Martin Mull? I think. Martin no, Mull Tim was Curry. not on it. I don't know if Tim Curry I, is appearing physically in places. I see that a lot of what he's doing is voiceover. Yeah. yeah. In 2017. Is that because of his stroke, maybe? Yes. Yeah. He in, did the Rocky Horror Live. He's in a wheelchair. Yeah. Uh, and I yeah. did see a, a video of him talking about Clue at Fan Expo Toronto right. in 2017. You know, he's not in great shape physically. And you could see his, his wit is still there. Yeah. And he's still hilarious and he's got a great sense of humor and yet he's he's really it looks like he's in bad shape it's funny watching him in this he's so good and in a movie filled with such comedic heavyweights yeah. he's the engine mm -hmm. of the whole movie and i know he's had a long career but it also feels like he could have been such a bigger comedic star than he was i don't know why that didn't happen for him was it the time was it just choice i think this being such a flop i think at the time it was really hitting people hard like you mm -hmm. said jonathan lynn didn't get asked to direct a movie again until 1992 it was a challenging time i think for so for do you them. think so that it kind of why. harmed his career as it well may, it may have or was he just maybe like focused on doing good shit in england instead of making crap in america i mean he did at the time there's probably a lot of crap being made in america I, he did do some crap in america and played a lot of like supporting comedic yeah. roles i often guess, especially with somebody like him, that I'm sure he worked sort of as much as he wanted. And the like the one or two sitcoms where he was a lead, and be like, he might have been like secretly relieved. Like, ugh, you know, that would have been a lot of work. Like yeah. I got a nice big paycheck and he's able to do things that he wants to do, including, and I actually did see him live on Broadway in my favorite <gasps> year. Oh. Uh, when that musical, yeah. I thought you were going to say spam a lot. I was so ready for it, but. Um, who else on the Clue movie roster? Madeline Kahn. Oh, my. Oh. Madeline Kahn. Yes. Incredible. Amazing. And, well, should we just play it now? 
Sure. Is this the most famous line from the movie, I would think? Probably the most. Lucky for me. You know how people always say like, oh, you haven't seen that? I'm so jealous because you get to experience it the first time. I had no idea of this moment occurring. And my experience of it was like genuine. I was like, that is a great comedic moment captured in a movie. Of course, then come to find out, it's like the most famous moment in Mm -hmm. the whole movie. (laughs) But I had no idea of that when I was watching it. So I felt like I discovered something. It's sincerely you. Sincerely was like my discovery. I was going to be like, guys, have you seen this clip? Oh my God, you got to see what Madeline Kahn. Then of course, it's like, this is like the whole thing. And in fact, Jenny, I'm going to give this to you now. Okay. It didn't arrive yet. But as our guest on the podcast, we got you a gift, which (gasps) will be arriving. And again, as an auditory medium. <gasps> wow, I love it. Okay, so what I'm looking at is a is a printout of <laughs> it's a, a necklace. picture of a necklace um, that has an emblem with a and it's it's I don't know what what are we working with here? What English? material pewter? is this? Probably pewter. pewter. Let's go with it. it's a no, pewter. No, sterling medallion. silver. Sterling Only silver. the best. It's a forgive me. I just want to make sure pewter. it's pewter. I just want to make sure it's not actual lead. Lead. Well, the um, clue. Lead. The it clue has flaking lead paint on it. Yeah. It's from it's gerontium mined from Russia. It's a medallion that features a um, artistic portrayal of Madeline Kahn as Mrs. White and a banner. Artistic across, means it doesn't look anything like her. Across the bottom that says flames. It says flames. <laughs> it's excellent, and thank you so much. Yes, yeah, so I that will be coming every day, and it refers to this scene. Not so incredible as what happened next, but we will split up again. I went upstairs with you. Yes, you, Mrs. White. And while I was in the master bedroom, you hurried downstairs and turned off the electricity, got the rope from the open cupboard and throttled Yvette. You were jealous that your husband was stopping Yvette. That's why you killed him, too. Yes. Yes, I did it. I killed Yvette. I hated her so much. It, it, the, it, flame, flames, flames on the side of my face, breathing, breath, heaving breaths, heaving. Oh, it's so good. And just prior to that, when she just like face down, falls on the stairs and just stays (laughs) there as he continues (laughs) on. It's so brilliant. She's fantastic in Mm -hmm. this, as she is always in everything that she was ever in. Yeah. But as we pointed out, that's one of the few pieces in the film, it might be the only, that is improvised. What's great about it is, as an improv moment, it could feel like really out of place in something that's so, so much about the written word and the performance of the written yeah. word, yet it really plays in character. Well, and sadly, it was only in theaters, and in, in, that's part of ending number three, or C. C, so only, as it's referred to. So only, you know, a third, theoretically, of, of the theater goers right. were able to Ever see even saw that. that. And now it's just, terrible. just iconic. And Michael McKeon is great and hilarious. He's amazing. His introduction, too, with the sit, <laughs> that's so great. There's a hilarious anecdote from Michael McKeon, which involves James Lipton, the actor studio. Mm-hmm. Is he inside the actor's he's, studio? He's, I think they stopped producing it. A good podcast fine. would be rewatching every episode of the pretentious hilariousness going on in inside the actor's studio. That would be fun. The questions are ridiculous. Anyway, Michael McKean has a funny anecdote of being at Elaine's in New York in the 80s. That's what you did. You went yeah. to Elaine's. Uh, but he was there, I guess, much later. This was just before Elaine's closed, which must have been sometime in the 2000s. And he was there with Ricky Gervais and Ricky's wife. And who comes over to the table but James Lipton. And he recognizes Ricky Gervais and has no idea who Michael McKean is. Then James Lipton introduces them to his wife, who's much younger and very beautiful. And James Lipton says proudly, my wife is the model for Miss Scarlet in the board game Clue. 
and out of his wallet, he takes a picture of the edition of the game that had photographs, and it was, in fact, his wife. And Michael McKeon says, I'm Mr. Green in the movie! And an awkward silence. (laughs) (laughs) And then Mrs. Peacock has to come in and do, like, the introduction. Constant hostess. Silence, exactly. What else? I'm sure, what else I have in my notes here for Clue? Tom Stoppard, Colleen Camp's boobs. I think we... Any other favorite moments or lines that oh, jump you aside from the uh, oh, flames? Well, I mean, my God, there's they're all so good. I mean, Michael McKean's last line: "The I'm going to go home and I'm going to go home and wife. sleep with my wife." Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is another thing. If you didn't see that version, like you said, you, you're missing out on like some of the greatest comedy yeah. in the movie, depending right. on what ending you that's saw. That's why you're supposed to go. No, right. it doesn't <laughs> work. Mm-hmm. There's some of this repartee that's like there's just, just like a quick line. It's like I'm yeah. confused by one thing, and then Martin yeah, one like, thing, one thing, yeah. yeah. Just Right, just the, right, the banter, right. the sharpness, the quickness yes. of it. It surprised me how negative the reviews were because, like, those are legit funny lines. It seems like an unambitious comedy in a way, but that sort of breeziness. There's a fun element, which I think those fuddy-duddies, yeah. Siskel and Ebert, just didn't get. Screw it. Martin Mulls said one of the things he loved about making the movie was usually you understand, oh, you're going to be in a movie with Madeline Kahn, you're going to be in a movie with Michael McKean, you're going to be in a movie with Tim Curry, Eileen Brennan, all these great comic actors. But then you get to the set and you realize, like, you're only going to be with the, that person like one day or half of one day or the other people came in when you were there. But in this movie, they're pretty much all together in every scene all the time. So he said it was so much fun. Maybe that's also why it feels so theatrical. It's such yes. an ensemble piece. Yes. Pretty much every scene is almost everyone. So it's true. Would you like to move on to alternative casting? Yes. I'd love to. Put that one back. Well, there's not a lot, but there is some. So we talked about Stephen Sondheim and Anthony Perkins because I think they wrote something that was kind of like a farce. Yes, they wrote was it a Broadway um, play, The Last of Sheila. The Last of Sheila, and I guess it had some similarity to this. In 1973. So Wadsworth, mm-hmm. Rowan Atkinson, Mr. Bean. Yes, yep. they're not famous enough. Not no. famous enough. And John Cleese. Which would have been interesting. Different. Yeah. Jonathan Lynn initially imagined Leonard yes. Rossiter, Rossiter, who then unfortunately passed away before the time for casting. Yeah. He was in Barry Lyndon and Oliver. Oliver was a mm-hmm. big movie for me when I was a kid. Oh, really? I think mm-hmm. we all went to see that. Who was he in Oliver? He was Oliver. No, I don't know. I was just, <laughs> I don't know what he was. transformative. Wow. I said it was big. I didn't say I remembered who it was. <laughs> in the clips that they had from that documentary, they talked to the casting director, and she was throwing out a bunch of names that had been considered, though she didn't always say what roles. Mm-hmm. I'm sure John Cleese, what else, but Wadsworth. But she did say Robin Williams. Mm. That's I, interesting. He would have run a mock in this in a good way. I, I would yeah. have seen it with him in it for Yeah, he sure. would have been great. <laughs> Gene Simmons, the nope. Kiss frontman? No, my guess is he just probably like maybe that would have been, been Mr. Body. Yeah. Tim Matheson. Weird. Again, think huh. maybe Mr. Green. Animal House? Yes. Uh, Carol Kane. Carol Kane. She would have probably played Miss White or the- um, Mrs. Peacock. Mrs. Mrs. Peacock. Uh, just from age, I think at the time she was probably closer to- uh, She would have been Madeline good. Shelley Duvall. Oh. That would have been interesting. Mm-hmm. And then the last, which she didn't say who, but I'm, my guess is it would also be a Wadsworth, David Ogden Stiers. <laughs> that sounds like Wadsworth without even been. knowing who that is. From MASH. Oh, okay, yes. Okay, yeah. yes, yes, I do know. He always played the officious twit. Yes. An American officious twit. Colleen Camp supposedly beat out, this is what she says, Madonna, 
Demi Moore and Jennifer Jason Lee to play Yvette. Because she came in wearing her own French maid outfit. She did That's come true, in actually. wearing she did, that probably the audition, yeah. And all you actors out there, mm-hmm. like, you know, people say that, but people say don't show up wearing costumes and doing crazy bits, but Do they maybe say that? you should. I guess it depends on who you ask. Yeah. You're asking the casting director, like, God, like, don't, don't do show that. up. Yeah. Like, it's <laughs> like, I'm just trying to get through the day. Mm-hmm. Well, she did it and it worked, but yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know it if it wasn't was her written. first rodeo. I don't know if the role was written on the page that the boobs were such a such a presence or whether they decided once she was cast that this is going to become like a part of the farce. I think I that's mean, what Jonathan Lynn uh, that they said. just yeah. figured they had to what do it. Like, yeah. Well, they had to. But also we got in, to. Everybody brings their strengths yeah. and that was one of the things that she Also brought. in 1985, roles for women sometimes were like described as like sexy French maid yeah. end of description. <laughs> sure, what so, else do you need to know? Right. Wee oui, wee. Oui. I don't yes. even get it. Wee wee. And that's a description that would come up a lot like in Kramer versus I have a hard Kramer. time exactly. that's what Meryl Streep's character's description yep. was. I'll do what I can with this. Okay. I have a hard time believing Madonna was interested in the role, but maybe. Yeah. But it's actually okay. great, I think, that it wasn't Madonna. I think it would have really taken you out of it. I think it's yeah. hard for Madonna to seamlessly. Well, it would have been 85 Madonna. That might not have been such a big thing in your mind. I guess it's that's true. It's pre Bonita, but is it post? <laughs> it's post Borderline. Uh, borderline? Is there a podcast called Pre-Isla Bonita? I hope so. <laughs> there is not, now. Circle TM. Borderline, we're already on record for love. Great song. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. We only, Didn't I think we, we play a snippet from- it Used to uh, be my playground. No, no, but in that episode, which Jenny, I'm sure, correct me, you probably oh, remember. Oh, are you talking about you the episode about- um, She's tapping on her keyboard. Yeah. No, yeah. look. League of Their Own. Didn't we play a little Borderline? What's the haunting Madonna song I was- <laughs> This I used was, to be my uh, playground? No, no. no. <laughs> Different audio. No, it's more like a- uh, It was the one from Vision oh. Quest. Vision Quest, yes. Uh, crazy for you. Crazy for you. Matt, play a little crazy for you, because we're talking about it so we won't get sued. Oh, that's such a great song. It is. That's how you tag it, so it sounds like you listen to it in real time. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, that's all I have for alternative casting. Oh, wait, Carrie no, Fisher. Wait. Yeah, that's the big one. That's the big yeah. one. So Who Carrie was cast, Fisher, I think. She was cast. As Miss Scarlet. Right, and then she went into rehab. <laughs> she during the said day, to Jonathan Lynn, it's fine, I'll, I'll come during the day and I'll just right. go back at night. And he right. was like, that And he was like, I'm not sure. And it went all the way up the pipeline until like the insurance people were like, no. He actually tells the story, in the bus he's like, it's like, I was naive, you know, I was in England. Didn't know and not coke. everybody's doing coke. Right. So she comes in and second yeah. audition and uh, she's sniffing and he didn't know that that was coming. She's like, I'm sorry, I have hay fever. He's like, okay. <laughs> a lot of and actors then, in the 80s had hay uh, fever uh, yeah. all the time. When she did the rehab thing, she called from rehab. She's like, hey, I'm in rehab. And he says he goes to- um, Deborah Hill. Deborah Hill. Yep. And as he put it, who also seemed to have uh, hay fever that day. Oh, boy. And said like, hey, does that sound cool? She's like, yeah, sure, no problem. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> We're all doing that. And then did other producers, other producers, until finally, like you said, the insurance people were like, what? No. Yeah, no, of course yeah. not. And then they got uh, Leslie Ann Warren. Yes. I think Leslie Ann Warren is better. Uh, I think so, too. I can't, I can't. Listen. I'm, I can't imagine but her in this role, but I really think Leslie Ann Warren is, is the way to go. I don't want to speak ill of the dead, 
But I'm about to. I mean, oh. we just called Deborah Hill a cokehead on this podcast. But well, I didn't. That's true. It was Chris. I, it wasn't me. It was Thanks, John. Chris. Uh, well, Jonathan you did say Lynn Jonathan Lynn tells the story that she had hay fever. You said hay fever. Yes. Let me just say this. Carrie Fisher was never a great actor. Carrie Fisher is iconic as Princess Leia. And she's great in a couple comedic turns in things like When Harry Met Sally. But she's not a great actor. And she wouldn't have been good in this movie. Huh. And then your Twitter feed exploded. Yeah. No. <laughs> Tell me what the other great Carrie Fisher roles are. Did you watch Catastrophe, that Amazon no, show? but I heard she was good in that. I Wasn't she out of her it. mind in that, though? I don't know. She seemed, or she's she supposed normal to be. Enough to me. I mean, yeah, she seemed nutty as yeah. a character, but right. yeah. she was really good but in that. that. And but, she is but also at that point, charming. she's playing a version 100%. of her persona. Right. Right. I'm talking about as a straight actor. What else has she done? I mean, I, th- I think of when Harry I'm not saying, for yeah, sure. Harry Mattel, she's, she's great. brilliant. Yeah. She's hilarious. But I think that's essentially the relationship those two people really had in real life. And I'm, you know? I don't think I'm really allowed to have an opinion because I haven't seen Star Wars. You never saw any Star Wars movies? I've I'm seen, not a Star Wars I've seen freak. parts of... I've seen How's parts of all of them because that's weirdly it was hard to do. My time, I, I, that's what I'm saying. I've definitely seen parts. I didn't. I have never sat down to watch episodes four or five and six. Wow. I did see episode one, which was fun. So you only saw the the crappy ones. You yeah. didn't see. Yeah. It's hard with the way they number them because episode one is like one that just came out. So yeah. how am I supposed to keep that straight? She's in Hannah and her sisters. I don't see another great '80s comedy unless Soap Dish is a '90s comedy. Oh, soap 91. Dish. Is that what you're thinking of? Might no. be. Or were you thinking of Drop Dead Fred? <gasps> Drop Dead Fred. I love Drop Dead Fred. <laughs> uh, Rick Mile is a genius. Wow. Oh, that's Phoebe a Cates. great one. Yep. And she was in Appointment with Death. Oh, you're probably thinking of The Time Guardian from 1987 where she played <laughs> Petra. Yeah, I don't see, you know, basically from... Oh, she's the therapist in Austin Powers. Yeah, but again, that's a role where I think she's playing off of her persona, no? Like, she's one of those people who was made iconic through something that happened to her pretty damn early in her career. Fair enough. Which could have its own problem. Perhaps people are like, oh, yeah. you know, we, well, look, I mean, all of them. Podcast, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not like Mark Hamill had a huge career as an actor outside of Star Wars. Well, he was the voice of the Joker. Yeah. Which Tim Curry was, and then was too scary, and they got rid of him. And really? Him yes. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. Huh, that's that the thing good. about Tim Curry is he's so good at being terrifying yeah. Yeah. that it, it was like too much. He didn't associate himself with it. I think. Oh yes. Yeah, I don't remember what. The was that because that he was, was ashamed, or to like to keep up the mystery and the scariness? I don't of it. know. Although I did read that he's terrified of clowns, <laughs> and so in doing the movie, yeah. he um, wouldn't look in the mirror. When that's he was a tough in his movie makeup. to take if you're scared of clowns. Yeah. He's a hero. Yes. <laughs> I'm not going to let you stop me. Bullcast and Crew is brought to you by Two Different Guys on a Bench, a new comedy series from American Vandal star Ryan O'Flanagan. Two Different Guys on a Bench, where Ryan talks to Ryan on a bench. We keep the comedy simple, folks. Two Different Guys on a Bench videos can be found now on Facebook at Chuckler Comedy. Like and follow Chuckler for the latest and greatest short-form comedy videos. Chuckler, original comedy delivered daily. Okay, are we ready to move on to our next segment? Hmm, what's on TV? This is This Week in TV Guide, and this week our special guest, Jenny, is going to tell us what she would have chosen to watch 
went home from school Were on this day alive? in mm-hmm. 1980. Jenny, when would your television viewing start and what would you have chosen to watch? I probably got home around 3 o'clock. I was Chat. probably there for 3 p.m. television, mm-hmm. in which case I certainly would have tuned into One Day at a Time because mm-hmm. in this episode, Anne finds David and a woman in a state of disabil, which I would have been curious Is what that, that word meant. actually yeah, used in disabil. TV Guide? Uh-huh. I was like, I will highlight that. Oh, wow, speaking of French. Yeah, uh-huh. Speaking of French farce. Yeah, wow. Disabile. Wow. Disabile. So that sounded... But not en flagrante. Luckily. Right. So <laughs> many people... Five seconds later... This is One Day at a Time? Mm-hmm. So, so One Day at a Time, that's Bonnie mom. Franklin. Yeah. Richard Mazur playing David on One Day at a Time. There's no way that David was... I'm sure there... There's a like, reason why he's in Desabille. He, he wasn't doing anything nefarious, so... I'm sure there was a very plausible explanation for it. Forget... Yeah. <laughs> I just love that they're using the word disabile. It's That's so a good preposterous. Find. But then 3.30, definitely Gilligan's Island, which is strong yeah. as usual with these <laughs> as log usual. lines. In this particular episode, someone's throwing hand grenades at the castaways. Wow. <laughs> It's like, okay. That sounds like a very special episode of like they're right? dealing with trauma. Uh-huh, yeah. This is the thing with Gilligan's Island, which is how implausible. A hell of a lot of people kept showing up to this island. Yeah. It seems like you could have figured out your way off. but And all of them decide to leave them yes. behind. Yes. All Does it say people throw hand grenades? What Someone's throwing hand grenades at the castaways. But it could be something like the uh, Garfield phones. Yeah. Maybe like an old shipping yeah. container. A shipping container full of hand grenades that, that just washed ashore <laughs> and nothing bad happened. And then like the waves keep like knocking a stick so nobody's actually throwing it. So this, this is a spec episode that you wrote for Gilligan's this Island? This is actually how writers used to pitch. They would uh, run it in TV Guide. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and people would be like, <laughs> I guess like, I'll I would totally watch I'm Googling that. Gilligan's mm-hmm. Island hand grenades. Uh-huh. It's called Forward March. An unidentified enemy begins attacking them with hand grenades. Wow, that's mm-hmm. an even more chilling description. It is. Mr. Howell dons military garb to take charge as general and instructs the ladies to become nurses. We were not woke <laughs> oh, yeah. in uh, 1980. Yeah. Ginger Just to entertain the troops. Yeah. Oh, okay, good. Apparently Colleen Camp wasn't available to fly in and do that <laughs> A thorough search of the island uncovers not a thing until a gorilla shows himself as the culprit. Two boxes of grenades hidden in a cave. Get out. You were right, Chris. You did it. Chris. You figured out TV. You are a good writer. I, I was, you knew exactly. That. You knew Look, there was a cave. You missed and a the hidden... gorilla, though. You were using a stick. Nature. Didn't work it's out. nature. Yeah, you know, the gorilla was the listen, way. Listen, if, and if it was good enough for Edgar Allan Poe, mm. it's good enough for Gilligan. The problem lies in trying to <laughs> remove the grenades before they can be used again. Gorillas, <laughs> apes, and monkeys, there seems to be every kind of primate on the island. <laughs> the busy hmm. Janos Prohaska is again inside the animal skin. I guess that's the actor portraying mm-hmm. the gorilla. <laughs> Uh, the same one previously seen in the episode, The Chain of Command, the story similar to the later and better Bang, Bang, Bang. People spend a lot of time thinking about yeah. Gilligan's Island. Okay, Moving yes. on, okay, so uh, four o'clock, tune into Bewitched to just follow that same sort of line sure. of reality where Samantha thinks Aunt Clara has turned herself into a cow. <laughs> oh, see, for a second I thought it was going to be another cat thing. Yeah. Like cow. a cow in the living room, you think, or out in a pasture? Right, like she drives by just an abandoned pasture and she's uh, like, Aunt Clara? But like they're in the suburbs, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I don't know where she's encountered. Well, in the cow. 80s, cows were yeah. just around. Like squirrels today. Mm-hmm. God, it must have been so easy to be a sitcom writer in the 80s. You can pitch anything <laughs> or and get a away cow, with it. Or, or a cow. Yeah. You're casting a Jesus. lot of stuff. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, Oh, and then I would definitely want to tune in at 4.30 to Gunsmoke, mm-hmm. which is not, not a normal thing for me. But reading this description, care for a sick baby involves Newly with a wanted man and his distrustful Indian wife. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I just like that they were able to put in distrustful, distrustful. Indian wife. 
I'm going to give the Gunsmoke the benefit of the doubt. That, to me, sounds like the classic twist where, for the entire episode, she's suspicious of the Indian wife, but it turns out the Indian wife was trying to do the right thing all along, and it's actually the husband who is the evil one. Hmm. If she is distrustful, you can't blame her. Who? The Indian wife. Like, yeah, of course of she's being distrustful. distrustful of yeah. the white people? Of the white people around it, yes. Right. I think that's, that's true. true. Like, I've been offered reasonable. like five blankets with smallpox. Yeah. I think I'm going <laughs> to just like oh, no, I'm not gonna have some boundaries. Yeah. And then if I, learning if I were too. to make it to the evening, which is like 4.30 for it's crying out loud. You got a well, dinner? I'm going to skip ahead. I got like, to okay. do my homework. You're going into prime time. And I have a lot of it, so I don't actually return. I come back until. I don't return until 10 o'clock. Jesus. Yeah. But I'm school did you go to? I never did homework once in high school. So then I would tune into a movie, a drama called. Called the Badge or the Cross. Sounds like it's Sophie's Choice. Mm-hmm. Let so, me guess. Don't say <laughs> Please, tell me. I'm going to say it's the story of a nurse torn between her love for some form of a police inspector or a risque priest. And I'm going to say it's the story of a young street tough growing up, and at some point he has to decide, is he going to become a policeman or a priest. That sounds better. I like both of these. And maybe, may I pitch a new segment called like... <laughs> what it should what's, have been? Yes, yes. What's the I'm going to say, line? that actually... Well, unfortunately, you're both wrong. So oh, that is um, unfortunate. It's, it's the pilot film for the Sarge series. But what I like about it is that uh, it's George Kennedy as a cop turned priest ah. determined to solve his wife's murder. Now, Wait, my what? question is, <laughs> if you were a cop, why not just stay a cop? Because then you have all the police department well, because resources. because it's the pull uh, of the cross. What's it called again? The badge or the, the cross? The badge or the cross. And also, look, sure, the police department has a lot of resources, but you know who's got more resources? Men of the, the Catholic cloth. Church. Yep. You oh, G. Zus. Oh, yeah. Your G O D. Yeah. Zus. Sarge. So that was a TV uh-huh. show. So this is the. Did George Henry play anything film. besides policemen? Dude, Ricardo Bongo Knight. A priest, if you will. Actually, Jenny, there's a little more to this than you're telling. (gasps) Several years later, he's assigned to a parish where he meets the man who killed his wife (gasps) and discovers that the killer was gunning for him instead. Holy shit. And it also starred. drama. That sounds awesome. And then what does he do? Forgive him? I mean, he's a priest now. It starred Ricardo Montalban. As the murderer, I'm sure. I'm sure. Right. In the sort of racist casting of the mm-hmm. day. So next up at 11 p.m., I'm going to watch Conspiracy in Tehran, which is about, <laughs> naturally, hostages, a correspondent, <laughs> and a ballerina combat a plot to set off dynamite under FDR. What's interesting about what this you mean under him, line, like under his chair? Well, well, that's like, how it's written, so I'm going to say it, yes. I think it's like on the toilet. It's like Murtaugh. I'm too old exactly. for this. But... <laughs> But mm-hmm. Tehran. Do you have any questions? Like, or? I've got a few, thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Chris's hand is up in the back of the classroom. is very helpful for a lot of things, yeah. but um, why not say the bomb squad? What does Tehran have to do Tehran. with, um, Tehran. Te- with Teddy Roosevelt? Um, well, it would be FDR. Oh, it's FDR. Mm-hmm. Well, even still. Well, what do, what do a correspondent well, literally, literally nothing have to do comes with, up. Who's in this? Nothing comes up. Uh, Derek Farr and... His rhyming co-star, Marta Labar. <laughs> this must be a very old movie. 1947. Ah, uh, uh, mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's yeah, actually just called Tehran. This has the full title, or the TV Guide title, I should say, Conspiracy in Tehran. Well, I think that's I like the Ameri- that. they did that for Americans. But Americans probably couldn't like read that like word in 1947. Right. right. Then or you get a writing start with conspiracy in. Wow, I'm surprised you'd watch that whole thing. I would, because I'm committed to seeing how a ballerina and a correspondent can do these sure. kind of things. And then, as a small child, believe in myself. 
And then I'm going to stay up really, really late because I like to do that. 4, 10 a.m., here we go. Wow. Whoa. I'm watching the crime drama Adam. Is it just called Adam or is it called Adam 12? Adam 12. Adam 12. Okay. Of course. Yeah, dude. (laughs) I was a big Adam 12 fan. Well, then you'll remember this episode, which is a nightmare for Sergeant McDonald. His car has hit a pedestrian. Mm. Ooh, gosh. Sounds pretty serious. Does sound serious. I initially read this as his car was hit by a pedestrian, and I thought that was much funnier and more interesting to watch. So I accidentally tuned in. I realized it was about something kind of serious. It's like that thing they say about journalism. Yep. Dog bites man, who cares? Right. Man Man bites bites dog. dog. Now we're talking. So I I tuned that out, and just at 5 a.m., I watched the final thing before I call it a night, which is Marcus Welby, MD. Those are good. Because I feel like this is just a story I want to know about. (laughs) Feeling unloved and ignored, the daughter of a rich couple develops an ulcer. <laughs> First world problems. Wow. Thank you. Yep. Wait, the daughter and the unloved daughter of a rich couple? Feeling. She's feeling. She's not actually oh, unloved or ignored. Yeah. She's feeling I unloved see. and ignored. Phyllis, don't you know daddy and I love you so much? She's no, like, daddy, buy me a new gallbladder. <laughs> Marcus Welby, by the way, if you want to go down some rabbit holes, it's a very, I'm going to equate it to, have you ever listened to the song Eye in the Sky by Alan Parsons Project? Oh, sure. When you were at a dentist getting oh, no. um, laughing gas? Nope. Okay. <laughs> That's so, a very specific Listeners, have kink. you? Yeah. <laughs> Matt, just play a little of Eye in the Sky. I am the eye in the sky. You know how that has that sort of, it's like you're inhaling nitrous oxide at the same time as you're hearing this soundtrack that's right. carrying you away somewhere. Marcus Welby is essentially the same thing in television form. It's hallucinogenically narcoticized for your watching enjoyment. This is why I call it everybody's grandmother's favorite TV series <laughs> because it's pitched in such a weird tone and time. And when you watch it, it's like taking heroin. Oh. Yeah, I don't know, man. But I mean, hmm. in a good way. And it's got oh. James Brolin. Oh, James Brolin yeah, is the young. James Brolin. He's yeah, the young whippersnapper. Yeah. So the storylines, everything is so heightened, right? And everything is so uselessly unimportant. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's but just so funny that the doctor. entire premise is based around the fact that she has an ulcer. I guess that's that a that's lot of plot show. for a typical. For a typical, there's, there's usually not that much going on. The typical weirdly fucking bizarre Marcus Welby MD plotline mm. that's just presented like super normal, and you're kind of like, "What am I watching?" <laughs> yeah, and like there's one with like a junkie. There's one with like counterculture kids taking acid. And this is your grandmother's favorite. Show? Yes, because your grandmother loved Loves Marcus acid. Welby and Robert Young, and it was like it's one of the best watches you can check out. Like it'll be you'll be surprised how surreal it is, and it's like the most bland. Pabulum presented to the masses, but that's but it's a, fucked up. I was it's just saying, really like, that's just up. amazing about it. Like, if it does come out that bland, considering the ingredients that you're describing putting in there, that's real authorial voice. Yeah, that's to, <laughs> to really defang all of those social. They're Ills. just trying so hard to get wild plots so that there could be something <laughs> interesting, and they can't do it. There's so many good plots. <laughs> I mean, I could go down the rabbit hole of just reading these these plots. An aging yet robust diver refuses to take Dr. Welby's advice to slow down after he's informed that he has emphysema. Dr. Welby's girlfriend, Myra, takes a pregnant hippie into her home. (laughs) 
A basketball player seeks out a faith healer for his injured knee instead of having the surgery Dr. Welby recommends. That's very I'm telling you, it's like so fucking Hmm. weird. Watch Marcus Welby, MD. You will not be disappointed. All right, Jenny, it's four in the morning. Yep. Are you finally going to that bed? That was actually I mean, 5 a.m. I watched Jesus. it and I was like, I'm you done You must have been tired at school. I got to go to bed. <laughs> and then I set my alarm for 6 a.m. And I got up and wow. I went to school. Wow. Amazing. Shall we just move on to headlines quickly? Yes. Headlines. I only have two. Okay. Have you heard about the angel of death cheese message? So there is a market. There was a story once where a store in New York City was printing funny little messages on its cheese labels. But apparently this has come back and somebody went to a market and this fresh mozzarella that they bought has ingredients. It says made from pasteurized cow's milk, salt, vinegar. And then it says it was prophesied in late 20th century. An angel of death shall waste this place. Now I ask you, do you believe it to be true? The doctor. That's awesome. Imagine getting your fresh mozzarella and that's the message you get when you get home. I'd be excited. Fortune cookie. I was going to say, it's like all those out of work fortune cookie writers. Apparently, um, someone had called the market and said, you know, hey, (laughs) not cool, man. man." (laughs) And um, I guess the guy got fired. So I wish they had a quote like in his defense, like, I don't know, I thought it'd be funny. Or right, exactly. it really was prophesied. <laughs> That's right. I'm just trying to just spread report the, word. the facts, just, man. Just calling him like I see him. It's on them. They really hired me from my holding a sign on the street that said, like, <laughs> all the prophets. Yeah, that's right. My submission packet right, exactly. was full of doomsday scenarios. Exactly, so exactly. I don't know why you're that's surprised. That's on you, cheesemonger. <laughs> Dr. Welby treats a patient who, after writing apocryphal, <laughs> uh, not apocryphal, what's the, like, apocryphal? Apocalyptic? Apocalyptical? Uh, apocalyptical or. Is that um, a word? Dr. Welby treats a young man fired from a cheese shop for writing apocalyptic messages <laughs> on the fresh mozzarella. Do that what or is he treating him it? for? Lactose intolerance. No, but that's the thing. Welby is not actually doing the medicine stuff. He's always healing the mind part. It's that's not ridiculous. that you have a medical problem. The unloved child. Mm-hmm. She doesn't really Why have an ulcer. Why did you gesture to me when you said that? Uh, no, I'm just, I'm yeah. just laying out. You, 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 you watched you the episode. You stayed up until 4 a.m. to watch it. So. Like I was asleep here. like a normal person, but at 4 a.m. <laughs> you're up watching Marcus Welby. Yeah, My final <laughs> headline is, of course, from the animal kingdom. Yes. And this involves a beluga whale discovered off Norway's coast wearing a harness that had an adapter for a GoPro camera. And the Norwegians believe that the whale was a Russian spy. Ah. Did you see this story? Yes. I did not see the story. And I really thought you were going to say a harness with uh, a saddle. And I was really excited (laughs) about that idea. It was a trained beluga (laughs) whale trained by the Russians to spy, I guess, on Norway. Just spy. In the ocean? Yeah. But isn't the whale also like, and now I'm going to eat some fish and do my own thing because I'm a well, whale? Well, it, not when it's on the clock. The surprise sure. was the whale sure. was fitted with a time. camera harness exactly. with Russian markings. The beluga kept approaching fishing boats and rubbing against them in an apparent effort to remove the harness. So I guess a, a reluctant spy. Sure. Right. It's kind of dramatic. Mm. Oh, it's, it's the spy Next. who came in from the cold. Right. Ah, good one. Hey. But with Ba-dum-bum. a beluga whale. Apparently, there's a long history of military marine mammals. Sounds cool. Uh, but the Navy insists that unlike the 1973 movie Day of the Dolphin, marine mammals have never been weaponized. Well, so they say. So they say. Uh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> hey, Jenny, for this was such me. a pleasure. What Sounds are you great. closing us out with, Chris? A song, perhaps? Sure. 
Books and plays have been grist for the film mill since the medium's birth, and Clue, despite its cozy mystery structure, excessively talented cast, and Barnum-esque gimmick at its heart, was also another step in an inevitable journey, as the rest of the crap gathering dust in the garage wastes its turn to be alchemically transformed from trash to IP. We live among its people now, hiding in plain sight, but watching over them in secret, waiting protecting. I have witnessed their capacity for courage, and though we are worlds apart, like us, there's more to them than meets the eye. I am Optimus Prime, and I send this message to any surviving Autobots taking refuge among the stars. We are here. We are waiting. Thanks for listening to Full Cast and Crew. I uh, just wanted to remind everyone to subscribe if you haven't already, so you'll get a new episode every Thursday. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. So email us at fullcastandcrewpod at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at, at fullcastandcrew, or find us on Facebook.